You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour two underway on this Friday. It is Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon along with you. Live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation walls. They have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Lots of Calgary Flames conversation following a shootout loss to the Minnesota Wild on Thursday in Hour 1. Also taking a look at the next opponent for the Calgary Flames, the Tampa Bay Lightning with Eduardo Insignia. If you missed any of it, check us out on the podcast. Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite pod catcher. They go up moments after every hour finishes here on Sportsnet 960. And uh, if you do, go download the podcast. That can count as your Christmas gift for my producer, Cam. Thank you so much. You don't even have to give him anything else. Sourdough Neal doesn't have to send him bread. Taylor doesn't have to get him a weird secret Santa gift. Just go download the podcast. Make Cam happy. That's all I need. This holiday season. Keep me uh, keep me working. Keep me busy. Yeah. Make sure he's got a job. Yeah. It's not a high-paying job, but it's a job. But Cam. it's a job, and I'm here. So we're rolling. More on the Calgary Flames coming up in just moments. We'll also hear from NHL insider Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. He joined the guys on the morning show a little earlier today. Talking about the overall direction for the group with some pending UFAs following a disappointing road trip, which did see them pick up two loser points, but no wins over three games in Colorado, Las Vegas, and Minnesota. Later on this hour, we'll go around the NFL with Show Ali, our pal from Sportsnet. 590 The Fan in Toronto. The LA Chargers clearing house after a historic beatdown of the hands of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Producer Taylor, if Cam's getting podcast downloads for Christmas, what are you getting? What do you want for Christmas? Please don't ask me this question. It's too late. It's been asked. Um, no comment. Ross Stripling on a Blue Jays contract. Some some yeah. likes on the Instagram feed. Retweets on Twitter. I think Taylor can do better than than work accolades. Taylor's not in it for the work accolades. Taylor's in it for the money. I'm in it for the vibes. Yeah. <laughs> and they're immaculate. And spreading Vibes my are immaculate. And it doesn't get much better than this. And also spreading my propaganda. There's a lot of that, which is surprising from someone your age, but still. I have a lot. To There's a lot. It's propagate. true. Uh, this text comes in and says, Logan, get Cam a new car for Christmas. That's messed up. It's a $300,000 car, okay? It's fine. It's running. It hasn't been in the shop for like two weeks when I got an oil change. But that's it. It pays like premium gas on that thing. 94, baby. What a joke. At like $1.50 a liter. That's stupid. Yes. It's just dumb. <laughs> it's not worth it. I just I, want you to know that the image that you portray 
is not worth the money that you have put into that. It is a spitting image of every other Subaru owner in this country. They're the same person, Taylor. Like, it's every Subaru owner is the same person. We'll send Subaru memes in our group chat, and I'm just, that's Cam. Not one of them is positive either. (laughs) Nope. They're all bad. That's not a good sign, Cam. I can't find one good meme. Or gif about a Subaru owner. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. But you know what? <laughs> They're it's... always saying the Subaru is so bad. This texture says, Taylor just wants Biggio for Christmas. Kevin Biggio. Under the tree for Christmas. <laughs> I don't think he wants to do that. Probably not. That's probably. That's a little weird. Air, crossing air a couple so lines. Breathe, you know. <laughs> is he a puppy now? <laughs> Yeah, like, hey, here's a little box. box under the tree that's maybe making cameo. some weird Maybe Cameo. Maybe we can check Cameo. See if we can get Taylor. Maybe Kevin Biggio's on Cameo or something. What do you just, think he charges Just a jersey, a you know? Not much. Still Not much. Okay. <laughs> it's like the 12th best player on the Jays. Come on. Okay. Can't be that much. Uh, He's not on Cameo. <laughs> speaking of not great players, do you have a beer league team? that you would like to be featured on the radio? Because the Beer League broadcast is coming back. March 20th. They said it was dead. I want to be clear about this. They thought we were done. They said nothing. You are you guys not doing that again. Cron is a referee. We almost had fights between the two teams. Taylor was getting hit by pucks in between the benches because we weren't properly using safety equipment but we're back we're doing it again march 22nd at the flames community arena and we need a couple of uh, beer league teams to join us we need two teams to join us and you're gonna have your game broadcast over these very own sports our very own sportsnet 960 airwaves if you take part in this evening we're gonna have celebrity refs probably brent cron and somebody else Maybe not Paul Cruz, but somebody else. An after party with our friends at Wild Rose Brewery. We're going to have intermission games for the audience. We're going to have custom jerseys for your teams. We've got more details still to come, but save the date, March 22nd, and enter your team now at sportsnet.ca slash 960. We're going to choose the teams and contact everybody on February 2nd. So get your teams in. This great event brought to you by our friends at Wild Rose Brewery. They've been serving up premium craft beer to Albertans since 1996. Whether you're looking for a finely tuned craft lager or a robust porter, they've got something for everyone. Find them around Alberta and at the tap room in the Curry Barracks. Maybe that'd be a great Christmas gift. Get your friends some Wild Rose Brewery. If I don't see some Wild Rose Raspberry sitting under my tree on the 25th, I'm going to be upset. Well... Prepare to be upset. Oh. I'm going to say something else, but I'm not going to. Oh, boy. Here we go. Nope. Not going to do it. Uh, Pat would get mad at me. Anyways. uh, Let's get back on the page of the Calgary Flames. I had a good discussion in hour one. The text line was buzzing at 960-960. It's always open to you here on the program, and feel free to jump back in. Wanted to play this uh, from earlier today. Our NHL insider, Frank Saravalli. From Daily Faceoff joins uh, Matt and George on the big show once a week. And just getting some reaction to, from Frank about how the Flames are possibly feeling about their group 
after this most recent road trip and trying to find value around the league for some of their pending UFAs, including Elias Lindholm. Uh, That's a conversation that's continued and one that no doubt will continue to be a talking point here in Calgary as the season goes on. But here's Matt uh, kicking off this conversation with Frank uh, on a couple different topics, and we'll dive in on the other side after we hear from Frank Saravalli. Do you have any feelings on where the team is kind of pointing right now? Because it still feels like this has been a, a lot of, you know, assess, take it all the information we can right now. We'll figure out the rest after the holidays since we got past the, the Zadorov situation. Yeah, I think when you watch this team and how this has developed sort of as well as the eye test has been and as well as they've played. And like last night I thought was another great example. Um, They haven't really, they haven't made up any ground. Like they've allowed the Oilers to come back and, and catch them as they tried to set a franchise record or tie a franchise record last night for wins in a row. And you look at the way the division is shaping up and frankly, the playoff race in general, the wild, a team that they played neck and neck last night, like the wild are right there now too. Um, So not only have they really not made up a lot of ground, they've also seeded ground as well in the playoff race. And then you add in the injury to Tanev, how the results to this point don't indicate a lot different, like meaning it's not like they're getting their doors blown off without him. That that kind of lends me to continue along the same line that I've been thinking for the last few weeks, which is I think this team needs to to do everything they can to, to move out pieces as we get closer to the deadline. I, I don't think there's going to be significant traction or movement before the trade freeze sets in five days from now and no reason to try and wedge one in. But, like – it feels like changes are coming. We've been talking uh, during the summer, you know, what's the price tag for Elias Lindholm if he hit the open market? You know, eight and a half, nine million, maybe nine and a half million dollars. With his disappointing season so far, outside of last night's game where he was excellent and played a ton, how much money has maybe Elias Lindholm cost himself? He was, himself a, he was here? an absolute. Sh- he was a champ in the faceoff. He was. He was too. great. And Especially in the third period. How much money is he costing himself right now, Frank? Is he a $9 million player still? No, I, I don't think he is. Um, I, I think he certainly is costing himself a bit of money, but not. it's not an overwhelming amount because, you know, you can look at the production and it is what it is. Um, but in terms of, the other ways that he impacts the game. I mean, those are still abundantly obvious. And last night, as mentioned, is a great example. Um, I I think he's probably settling somewhere around eight um, when it's all said and done. High sevens, eight. And I think the big question is when it comes to the Calgary Flames, how do they feel about that number? How do they feel about where the team is heading? And more than that, would, does Lindholm believe that he has an authentic chance to win here? I think that's that's the $24, 64 $80 dollars question. That's Frank Servall, your daily face-off NHL insider, chatting with the guys on the big show earlier on this Friday. You want to hear that full conversation, you can do so wherever you get your sports on that 960 podcast. 
But some interesting points there from Frank. The Lindholm one is the most interesting one to me. Because I had this brought up by a texter. I want to say it was on Thursday's show. Asking about had Elias Lindholm, in my mind, hurt his trade value for the Calgary Flames. And look, Lindholm's been one of the topics this year for a number of different reasons. Some of it's been play on the ice. Some of it's been uh, about that contract extension that we heard was maybe happening a little earlier on this season, but didn't happen. And as Frank mentioned there, it's still a question mark for this team, but he is one of those pending UFAs that you have to make a decision on if you're Craig Conroy and company. As it sits right now for Elias Lindholm this season, 30 games in, he's got 19 points, 7 goals, and 12 assists. I think it's still pretty clear to me that Elias Lindholm is a really good number two center. And I think he can raise the level of his game with the right elite talent around him. Whether that's Goudreau or a Kachuk or last year an elite goal scorer like Tyler Toffoli, I think he has the ability to help players like that. But I don't think Elias Lindholm is a driver of a line by himself. I think we've learned that this year. And that's not a, knock, a number two center in the NHL, a guy that's in Selkie conversation every single year, is still not easy to find. And I still think he has tremendous value around the league. But if you're the Calgary Flames that now have Nazem Kadri and Michael Backlund signed up for at least the next couple of years, I don't know what the value is for the Flames going in this new direction to keep a guy like Elias Lindholm. If anything, he might be your biggest trade chip to get you the most return whether that's a first-round pick plus, whether it's young NHLers, whatever the case may be, whatever Craig Conroy and Flames management's looking for, I think Lindholm still remains your biggest trade chip in all of this. And I just don't see the fit for this group with Lindholm going forward, knowing that he's going to want a long contract. He's 29 years old. He's had a couple of good seasons under his belt, but this year is certainly, I think, more indicative of what the player is without elite talent around him. I I think it's a pretty easy conversation for the Calgary Flames, and that's coming from a guy that's watched this team struggle to find any kind of center that was even close to Elias Lindholm for what, 15, 20 years, they've tried to find that guy to be the number one center for this group going back to the days of Jerome Ginla. So I don't take it lightly that you move on from a guy like Elias Lindholm, but at the same point, what does, what value does he bring if you don't have those elite pieces around him? If you're, say, a Boston or a Colorado and maybe you can put him on a line with a Rantanen or a Marshawn or a Pasternak, I think you can see that added value that Lindholm brings because he can clearly 
up his game with those kind of players. But I think this season, maybe more than ever, we've kind of learned what he is when he doesn't have those guys around him. And again, that's not a bad player. That's still a very good player and a guy that a lot of teams would kill to have on their on their roster. But does it fit the narrative for the Calgary Flames? Does it fit the direction that they're going? I don't think so. At least not anymore. Especially if that contract is eight years, $8 million, $7 million, whatever the number winds up being. Uh, I just don't think that this works for the team or for the player anymore. And look, he's had some moments this year where I know a lot of team, a lot of people watching have questioned maybe what he's feeling right now because there's been a lot of back and forth with his camp and with the Flames and they were close to a deal and he doesn't really enjoy answering those kind of questions going back to the beginning of the season it wasn't something he really wanted to talk about or dive into so you do wonder how much that's riding on the player right now and for Elias Lindholm and the Flames unfortunately it just it feels like one of those situations that it worked out really well at the time of the trade I mean we didn't even when he remember when he was acquired he was a winger he played wing in Carolina it had some experience at center but not much he developed to that in Calgary and became that guy, but he was never in that initial trade brought in as to as the next center down the middle for the Calgary Flames. So I think it's fair to say it's it's worked. I think it's run its course. And again, I think the Flames best trade asset at this point still remains Elias Lindholm when you're talking about what they could get back for their pending UFAs. Uh, some of your texts at 960-960. The fan feedback line is always open to you. This one says, plain and simple, Lindholm is not a first-line center. Uh, this one says, uh, he is a number one center. He's elite. Is he elite? No, but not, but not based on media criteria to be a true number one center. There's like 10 in the entire NHL. And that's what I mean. I think, and that, you know what, that's a fair point to the sense that on a lot of teams, is he a number one center? Probably. But in terms of the contenders or like the best teams in the league, would he be a number one center? Yeah, probably not. I, I, that's just, but that's just my opinion. Uh, this text says to me, the Flames need to find a way to get Lindholm right, even more so than Huberto. I'm hoping for a patch already to the Knights uh, type of return. Uh, Suzuki plus for Lindholm. The better he plays, the more leverage we have. Uh, this one says, uh, Boston's best prospect is Lysel. They'll be lucky to ever be a top six winger. They have no first round picks. This Boston talk needs to stop. They don't have the bullets. That's from Mick, and, and look, I I totally understand your your point there, Mick, and I and it's why we when the, we first started having these discussions about UFAs and and teams brought up Boston, I just use them as an example of uh, a team that has um, elite wingers more so as the conversation, the guys that would I think help Lindholm 
get to that next level we've seen offensively if you put him with a Marchand or a Pasternak. I agree with you on the sense that I don't think Boston has the the type of assets to make the deal work. I, I agree with that. Uh, this text says, good center, just can't carry a line on his own. Nothing wrong with that reality. And that's true. That's I, I think that's... That's not a knock on him. That's, I mean, most players in the league could use a running mate. I don't think uh, it's worked to the degree that, I mean, they tried. We all thought during the the preseason and the first few weeks of the season, they were going to try to get Lindholm and Huberto to work. That that never happened. And it's kind of been a rotating door for him. The first couple years, Lindholm with Kachuk and Goudreau worked great. Had to Foley last season, uh, but so far this year, I don't think we've seen that same kind of chemistry between Lindholm and the rest of his teammates. Uh, quick look at the NHL picture tonight. Flames obviously off. They're getting set for uh, Tampa Bay on Saturday, but still six games on the NHL schedule tonight. One on the Sportsnet television network at 5.30. You can watch the Boston Bruins uh, taking on the New York Islanders. Bruins 18-5-4. Islanders have started surging lately. They're up to 14-7-7 on the season. Night kicks off in New York. The Rangers are hosting the Ducks at 5-30. It's the Preds and the Hurricanes. 6 o'clock tonight, Senators in Dallas to take on the Stars. Uh, It's the Coyotes and the Sharks. Your late game tonight, it's an 8 o'clock start in Las Vegas. The Buffalo Sabres minus Jeff Skinner, who got placed on injured reserve yesterday. Uh, in Vegas to take on the 25-5 and five Vegas Golden Knights. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. It was a lopsided defeat on Thursday night football by the backups for the Las Vegas Raiders. They torched the Chargers, as painful as it is for me to say that. But it's led to a cleaning of the house in L.A. The head coach, the GM, ousted on this Friday We'll talk about that with our next guest, Show Ali from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. Also, look ahead to a busy weekend of NFL football on Saturday and Sunday. That's next as Sportsnet Today rolls on. You're on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Thursday night football kicked off another week in the NFL season last night. What a lot of high expectations for the Chargers and the Raiders. Backup quarterback versus backup quarterback. Chargers without their number one receiver. Raiders without their number one running back. Well, it didn't matter for the Raiders, that is. They put up a team-high, franchise-high, 63 points on my LA Chargers. 63-21 is the final score. And then a corresponding move now at 5-9. and nine, The Chargers clean house on this Friday. Head coach Brandon Staley has been fired along with GM Tom Telesco. And without Justin Herbert and now a potentially high NFL draft pick, a lot of people curious about the future of the LA Chargers. To help us talk about that and uh, a look at the NFL week coming up with games on Saturday and Sunday. Very happy welcome in our next guest down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Shoali joins us 
who was uh, helping out on the fan check down today. Show, what's going, man? What's going on, Logan? I didn't realize you were a Chargers fan. Uh, yeah, I don't like to advertise it too much, <laughs> mainly because of uh, things like last night. Yeah, that's you know what? It's probably a good thing. It's probably, yeah, probably yeah. for the best, I think. It saves my phone a lot of uh, you know abuse because uh, the more people that know, the more times I get text messages when uh, the Chargers do chargery things. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's an unfortunate existence, but one that I've uh, I've chosen to take on. And well, I mean, like last night is what it is. I'm not going to um, you know freak out about it because. I don't think Antonio Pierce was running up the scoreboard. If you want to stop them, stop them. But this was clearly a, a turning point for the Chargers, who, i got to be honest, looked like they gave up on their head coach last night's show. Yeah, and I, I've said it all, all along during Brandon Staley's tenure, and I, I felt like for a – and this is not a hot take by any means, but for a guy who was hired as a defensive coach and you have pieces like Bosa and, and Derwin James and Khalil Mack – and for your defense to be that bad, I mean, it's got to fall on the head coach at some point, right? Like I do, I do genuinely think that if, if you bring in an offensive-minded coach, and Kellen Moore is not the answer, but you bring in an offensive-minded coach next year, maybe it's Ben Johnson, maybe it's Bobby Slowick, whoever it might be, but if you bring in someone like that to marshal the pieces that include Justin Herbert, uh, Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Canada's own Joshua Palmer. Like if, if those are the guys who you can still create an offense with, th- those are some good pieces. Like those are better pieces than a, a lot of other teams have at this point. It's just they're not being used correctly. Maybe Austin Eckler is past his prime. The guy's had 700 touches, 700 plus touches in the last three seasons combined. So I get it. The ceiling for running backs comes pretty fast, but. Uh, you know, th- there's still a lot left, I think, for the Chargers offense. It's just they had not been used really well at all in the last couple of seasons. So I- I- I'm not sure there's a lot left this season for that team. But I, I-, I don't think it's all doom and gloom going forward. No, I- look, I think you've got the biggest piece that the teams yearn for in your starting quarterback. I, I do believe Justin Herbert, despite some detractors uh, out there that he hasn't won a big game, I do think... You know, I I can't remember the exact stat. It was something I shared with Adnan Verk a couple weeks ago. Show that I saw out there that games where the Chargers defense had been able to hold the opposition to under twenty points during Justin Herbert's tenure, they hadn't lost. Like they were undefeated. If the defense could just hold another team to less than three touchdowns, they were fine. I think there are some good pieces, but I think you hit the nail on the head. And the thing that frustrated me the most watching this team was you're right. Brandon Staley came in from the Rams and was supposed to be this guy who could get it done on defense, and that never happened. But there are some interesting pieces to go forward with, and the main one's got to be the quarterback, right? I would think so. I mean, Justin Herbert, and I, I, I hear what you're saying in that other people have definitely had their uh, their negative uh, aspects of, of Justin Herbert's play to emphasize. But, I mean, the guy hasn't had a lot of, a lot of help over the years and I think he's played decently well like you said when he doesn't always have to win shootouts he's been able to lead the teams to to win so I I have full confidence in Justin Herbert it's just really unfortunate the season went the way it did certainly just off the rails with a whole bunch of guys getting injured like Austin Eckler wasn't there the whole year Mike Williams was injured Joshua Palmer only recently came back there was no Keenan Allen this week and then Herbert himself got injured prior to this week as well so 
It's just it, whenever things like that happen for any team, you're going to struggle. But it, it never really felt like all the pieces were there. Having said that, I you know it's funny. I, I remember earlier in the season, Logan, uh, the Raiders got annihilated on a on a primetime game, and it ended with Devontae Adams being missed by Jimmy G on some long t- TD passes, and Devontae like smashing his helmet on the bench afterwards. And that game ended up being the the breaking point. For Mark Davis, because the very next day he fired, I don't even, maybe might have not, not have been the next day, it might have been like later that night, and he fired Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler. Well, we, we got to see that breaking point for the Chargers. They fired, like you were saying, they clean house, the getting rid of Staley and GM Tom Telesco. So I guess, because I, I kind of thought that the Spanos family, who was kind of notoriously cheap, they never fire anyone in season. I kind of wondered if they might just force Brandon Staley to play out the strings so they're not paying him to do nothing. But I guess when you get give up 63 points, something has to be done. Yeah, I think primetime probably helped force their hand because you're not wrong in the sense that they've been notoriously cheap when it comes to that. And, and that comes down to the conversation I want to ask you next, and that's because Tom Telesco, and we don't know this, but uh, about what kind of budget he's had for a head coach. The last three guys he's brought in, have been first-time head coaches. Mike McCoy, Anthony Lynn, Brandon Staley, all first-time head coaches, all of them lasting three years or less for the Chargers. Is the next GM, you think, going to lean towards a veteran coach? Do you think that's the way to go if you're the Chargers going forward is to find somebody that can has some NFL experience and can really start this group off in the right direction? That probably would be best. Like I said, I mentioned Johnson and Slovak. Like I, while I wouldn't mind seeing those guys become the the head coach, or maybe even you know uh, an Eric Bieniemy, for example. Who, sure. I, none of those guys have been head coaches, obviously, but they've both they've all worked wonders with offenses. And I think I do believe that's what the Chargers need. But if you did want to go with a more experienced head coach, I mean, certainly Bill Belichick rumors are there. Although it does kind of feel like. And we were talking about this with Donovan on the checkdown earlier this afternoon, this morning rather, but it kind of felt like Bill Belichick might go to a place maybe where he has some connections a little more strongly, whether it's you know, Cleveland or New York, for example. But yeah, I mean, if it's not Bill Belichick, I mean, you could always, the, the rumors of uh, Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh is always one that's uh, percolating. I, I, I do think when you have a veteran quarterback, it probably makes it easier when you do have someone who is a little bit more established in the in the uh, in the NFL world, NFL circles, and I, I suppose the nice thing is, but with having Justin Herbert, is like you said, the hardest part of building your team is done finding a franchise QB, and he's not. He, he, this is not like a 35 year old Justin Herbert we're talking about. It's a pretty young guy, so probably still pretty malleable. I think there's there's a good balance to be found, but I mean, it, while it, the 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 longer tenured head coach might be the way to go. I, I wouldn't mind seeing them get another new guy a chance, although the, the Chargers, like the, the ownership group and the Spanos family might have to get a, a longer tenured guy in the NFL just to kind of win some trust back from the fans. Uh, on the other side of it, uh, the Raiders sure look like a different group under Antonio Pierce. That guy really seems to have the pulse of that team. Uh, is he making a case to, to be the long-term head coach of that group in your mind, or do they – need to go on a full search for a new head coach there? I mean, they, they probably should, just for due diligence, do an actual head coach search, and I'm sure they will. But Antonio Pierce definitely seems to be making his case, at least. I, I will say I, 
I, I try and temper my expectations a little bit with the Raiders just because so much change has gone on with the Raiders in the last, like, even five years, right? But even beyond beyond the all the stuff with John Gruden and then certainly Josh McDaniels coming over and then he gets fired and Mike Mayock getting fired and then Dave Ziegler getting fired, like all these different guys <laughs> have come and gone. So I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't give Antonio Pierce uh, at least a chance. Although, I mean, we just had the conversation about quarterbacks. I mean, they, they, they got to find the quarterback of the future or at least the quarterback of the short term at some point. And I, I, I don't think that guy is Jimmy G. And I say this as someone who I have a lot of time for Jimmy G, but I mean, he's not had a great last couple of years. Uh, certainly Aiden O'Connell has acquitted himself pretty well. So since he's been anointed the starter, but I mean, I'm not sure beating up on the chargers on Thursday night football is the, the one thing that's going to cause people to say, yeah, he's the quarterback of the future. So, I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty around this team, but I, I wouldn't mind seeing them give Antonio Pierce a chance. He, he definitely seems to have gotten the team galvanized towards him a little bit more. So I, I think there's still a little bit more I'd like to see, from the Raiders before I say, oh man, Antonio Pierce can be the next D'Amico Ryans. He can yeah. be the next Dan Campbell, right? I want to see a little bit more from him before we like put him in those that tier of younger, exciting coaches. Do you think the Raiders make a push here for a playoff? So I know the AFC's got a lot of teams mixed in there. They put the graphic up last night on Thursday Night Football after the game. They didn't even have the Raiders in the in the hunt column, but. Uh, six and eight. They've played some really good football of late. Would you be surprised if they were in the mix uh, down the stretch here? You know, I think I would be surprised. Not because I'm trying to like go out of my way to disrespect the Raiders here by sure. any means, but you, you just have to climb a lot of teams, even with that seventh seed. You have to climb a lot of teams in the AFC to get into the playoffs, like you're saying, Logan. Right? Like you have in your own division, you have to climb. One of the Chiefs or Broncos, because it feels like both of those teams are probably going to make the playoffs. Obviously, one is a division winner, one is a wild card. And it's also wild that it's not out of the question that the Broncos could just win the AFC West outright. So there's that to contend with. And then you also have the Colts and the Texans both with seven wins, both seven and six. And that that might change because I believe C.J. Stroud was ruled out with a concussion. So he's not going to play this week. So maybe that changes the wild card race a little bit. But Gardner Minshew... Meanwhile, it's had the Colts playing very, very well. This is a guy who took over in week five and has been playing, you know, for, for a backup quarterback, someone that we've gotten to know over the past couple of years with the, with the Eagles and certainly with uh, Jacksonville as well. He's, he's played pretty well, and he's made some big-time throws when he's needed to. Then you have the entire AFC North. <laughs> All can make the playoffs. Yeah. Like literally every team in that division in theory, make the playoffs, and I got to give credit to Jake Browning too. I mean, this is a guy who has the Bengals looking very competitive. What when it kind of all felt like the season was done when Joe Burrow got injured, and then you have the AFC East with the Bills and the Dolphins, and that division might come down to the very last day, and it's possible both those teams make the playoffs. So I think, given that all of the teams I basically just mentioned are. Uh, at least one, and in most cases, more games ahead of the Raiders. Um, I, I, I don't want to say stick a fork in them because it's still some time, but I, I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> okay, so let's dive into that AFC playoff picture a little bit more and some of those teams that you mentioned because I think it's a really interesting group knowing there is so much still to be decided. And we, like you mentioned, we've got backup quarterbacks. We've got uh, a team in the Broncos that gave up 70 earlier this year and are all of a sudden challenging the Chiefs in that division. When you look at that group, sort of the non-division leaders, let's say, in the AFC playoff race right now show, which team gives you the most confidence that if they make the playoffs, they could make some noise? 
All right, this is going to sound crazy, but okay. I actually think the Broncos might be that pick for me. Because this is a team that legitimately got hung up, what, 70 points, got yep. hung on them by the Dolphins earlier this year? Like, what, like two months ago or one and a half months ago? They got absolutely blown away by the Miami Dolphins. And you know what? Since then, their defense has gotten healthier. Russell Wilson has not turned the ball over. Even if he, he's not throwing for 300 yards a game, I, that that era of his career, that phase of his career might be done now, given that he's a little bit older. But, I mean, he's played, I got to give the guy credit, very, very well. They've managed to use Javante Williams as the, the check down machine. He's been able to, and he's still been able to provide some burst with his legs as well when he's been actually been asked to carry the ball. And then, you know what, Cortland Sutton, I mean, maybe there's some touchdown regression coming, but this guy just can't stop finding the end zone. It's it's pretty remarkable for a guy that had a pretty serious injury not that long ago. So yes, you could use some more from some of the other pieces on offense, but I mean, you, given that we're talking about the, the non-division winners right now, I think, and, and again, it's still within the realm of possibility that Denver just outright wins the division, yep. given the struggles the Chiefs have encountered as of late. But I mean, you look at those other, those other teams, the, the Bills might be the only other team that I think they, they haven't put it all together, but they could. But after that, I'm not sure I have a, a whole ton of faith in a lot of the other non-division winners right now. Maybe the Browns might be the third team if we're not counting the teams in the lead. But, yeah, I think the Broncos might be my pick, Logan. Do you, do you have a pick? I don't mind the Broncos one. I think that that's uh, a pretty good one. I, You know what? I still – there's something about Jake Browning and the Bengals that intrigues okay. me a lot. Um, he's played way better than I, I ever anticipated. I like some of the weapons – I think for a, a backup quarterback to walk in and have, you know, Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Joe Mixon, like I think he's got a a fairly decent complement of players around him that could make it be a, a legitimate thing. I, again, we're we're playing with a guy that we don't know much about, but he's been impressive for me so far. But I can't deny, especially if the Broncos beat the Lions on Saturday show, I think that's going to tell us a lot about where that team is. I think the last I checked, the Broncos were – uh, or the part of me, the Lions were favored by four and a half in that game. And I, I thought that was a little surprising just because the, the Lions have played undoubtedly very well. I mean, they're nine and four. They're, they are one of the better teams, if not the NFL, certainly the NFC. And and yet they they still just feel like they're 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 waiting to take one more step, which honestly just seems crazy saying this at all about the Lions, given that the collective history we've all witnessed from the Lions in the last like 20, 30 years. But that they are 9-4, I think, is an accomplishment in and of itself. But, I mean, the Broncos have played so well. At all, a lot of one-score games, a lot of very close games. They've, they've had a much more cohesive defense since, like I said, a bunch of these guys have gotten healthier and come off the IR, and more guys are coming off the IR as well. So I, I, I really do think that tomorrow's game, probably it might be one of the better ones of this, of this Saturday slate. And it is the primetime game tomorrow. So I, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it, it, that game can have a lot of uh, positive or negative, depending on what team you're a fan of, consequences on the playoff picture for both the AFC and the NFC. Because if the Broncos lose, then a whole bunch of teams, maybe including the Raiders, are right back in it, or other teams get a leg up on them. And if the Lions lose, then that also potentially changes the balance of power in the NFC North. So a a lot of playoff uh, implications here on the line now that the season is it's kind of starting to wrap up. It's kind of crazy that we're in week 15 already. Yeah, and you mentioned it. Saturday is going to be huge. Bengals. Taking on the Vikings, Steelers, Colts, that's got playoff implications all over it, and then the Broncos 
and the Lions on Saturday night. Show Ali is along with us from Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto, looking ahead to the Week 15 schedule this weekend in the NFL. Uh, Talked about the AFC. Let's jump over to the NFC, where feels like perhaps a bit of a power struggle between the Cowboys and the Eagles after a couple losses for Philly. Do you have more confidence in Philly or Dallas right now based on how the last couple of weeks have gone? Uh, it's hard to, to pick against the Cowboys right now if we're comparing the Cowboys and Eagles because the Eagles, they, so they beat the Bills in overtime. It was a, that was a pretty entertaining game. They get waxed by the 49ers and then get waxed again by the Cowboys, two of the teams that a lot of people potentially were previewing as playoff matchups or maybe even an NFC championship game, certainly going back to the rematch with the 49ers, which we saw a couple of weeks ago. So I, I got to pick the Cowboys. I, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with the play of Dak Prescott. I mean, Dak Prescott has played very, very well. And you got to give the guy some credit because I think for a large chunk of Dak's career, Logan, like since he basically took over from Tony Romo, the year Romo got injured, I feel like a lot of people have looked for, like reasons to, to almost, I don't want to say slander, but have looked for reasons to maybe to explain why he's not as good as you think he is essentially. But this year, I mean, he, he's making some very pretty throws. He's making them on time. He's standing there in the pocket. And it's not as though we've never seen him do that in the, uh, in the past, but it's just, I think we had come to expect a, a lesser level from Dak to a certain extent. I'm not sure that was entirely fair. And he's, Hey, he's proving people wrong. Like if you're having an MVP poll, at this point in the season, I don't think it's entirely incorrect to say that Dak might be, not be the favorite right now. It might be Dak and then Brock Purdy and then, let's say, Lamar Jackson, if you're talking about QB favorites in an MVP race. And so the, the Cowboys are 10-3. and three. They have the potential to not only win the division but be the number one seed in the whole NFC. And that's that I got to give credit to certainly Mike McCarthy and certainly to CeeDee Lamb, but Dak standing right at the top of that list. Uh, so we talk about some of the top teams in the NFC, and then there's this whole mix of below 500 teams, including right now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who would host a playoff game despite having a five a below 500 record. Um, and it sure looks like that could be a possibility this year. I mean, the Packers are in a playoff spot; they're six and seven. Uh, then you've got like the whole NFC South, except for the Panthers. Um, you know, Seahawks are there, Rams are there. Uh, Do you believe in Tommy DeVito and the Giants? Uh, I guess similar to what we asked in the AFC side of things show, when this NFC playoff picture is so crowded right now too, is there a a group, is there a team or two there that gives you a little bit more faith than maybe their records indicated so far? You know, it's funny because, like you said, there are so many teams that are below 500 that could feasibly make the playoffs. I, I, I actually think if the Giants continue to play well, I don't see any reason, and, and when I say the Giants, it really means Tommy DeVito, but I, I, I don't see any reason why they can't make the playoffs over any of the other teams that are 6-7 and seven or 5-8, and eight, right? I mean, like the Packers didn't play well against those Giants just a couple of days ago, it felt like, and Jordan Love has definitely turned a corner, but if, if it's not the Packers, I think it would, just, it would just be a fun story to see Saquon Barkley and Tommy DeVito in the playoffs after Daniel Jones gets the huge bag in the offseason and Tyrod Taylor isn't really involved anymore, and they turn to this next guy who's no no one's ever heard of. I think the Giants might be the most fun option, even if maybe the Packers might be the more realistic option. The Packers and Jordan Love are an interesting one because I think last week everyone was sitting there going, "This is going to be the Packers' chance to blow out the Giants," and 
it's a primetime game, and this is going to be their time. And, of course, uh, instead we got Tommy DeVito's agent and the whole Italian family story of the tailgate and everything. <laughs> now they've got the Bucks this week in a really big game for both teams. Have you come around on Jordan Love? Where do you sit on him as he takes finally takes over the reins uh, for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? I gotta say, I've been pretty impressed by Jordan Love, and and no, he didn't play that well in New York the other night. But I, uh, I I gotta think that the weather was a bit of a factor in that game. But still, he probably could have made some throws that he or completed some throws he usually makes. But I, Jordan Love, I mean, for a guy who sat for so long for such a large chunk of his career, and I, I think you are seeing some of the benefits of that now. It just felt like so early in the season when he wasn't connecting with Christian Watson and Aaron Jones was injured for such a huge chunk of the season. And now AJ Dillon is injured too, but it took a lot of these younger guys like a Jaden Reed, or we already knew about Romeo dubs a little bit from last season or Dontavian Wicks. Like all these guys were, are so young and love is so young himself. It always felt like it was going to take a little bit more time than it otherwise would have for him to mesh with these guys. If it was a, a veteran quarterback who's been in the NFL for years, been a starter for years, and knew what that was about, it probably it felt like that may, might have meshed a little quicker. But, I mean, it, t- it took a little longer than, than maybe everyone expected. But Jordan Love has looked, I think, really great. Like, they beat the, Ch- the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago, and he looked poised and just ready to take whatever was coming at him, checking down, changing plays. So, I'm not ready to say that the Packers have done it yet again and found another Hall of Fame quarterback <laughs> again, because that would just be <laughs> truly wild. But I, I am ready to say that I think the Jordan Love experiment, if you call it, can is 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 close to being deemed a success. Although I think we ha- we do have to see how the season ends. Uh, last one before I let you go. Uh, you look at the Sunday slate of games. What's the must-watch matchup for you when you look at Sunday? Oh, this is probably like the chalk pick, but I got to say it anyways. The Cowboys-Bills game yeah. is going to be so much fun, right? Because we talked about playoff implications. The Bills essentially have to run the table if they want to make the playoffs. And the, their season ends with a, a matchup against the Dolphins that could very well be, certainly if not for the division, for, it could be for the number one seed in the AFC. So the Bills need that. And, and Josh Allen needs that, too, if he wants to have a stronger case for MVP. And then we just talked about Dak Preston and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, they also have an inside track to control their own destiny, get the number one seed, uh, get a bye, have some rest in the playoffs. So that's going to be a, a whole whack of fun because the Cowboys also don't have the easiest schedules. I mean, they just played the Eagles. I think they play the Dolphins next week. So they, they have... Uh, they're right in the middle of a, of a pretty tough part of their own schedule, albeit they end the season against the Commanders. So that's that's a whole other a whole other conversation. But I think that's going to be my must-watch game. I'm I'm almost going to prepare after the one o'clock games just to watch that. <laughs> so I think that might be even sexier than the Sunday nighter. I think so too. Uh, great to chat with you as always. Show appreciate you jumping on with us, man. Uh, great to hear you on the fan checkdown. You did a great job as always. Yeah, anytime, Logan. Uh, anytime you need me, just give me a call. Appreciate it, man. Take care. Hey. There you go. Thanks, man. Thank you. Show Ali joining us from Sportsnet 590, the fan, uh, coming down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline as we wrap things up on a Friday edition of Sportsnet today here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Uh, quick thank yous today. Eduardo Encina joined us uh, covering the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Tampa Bay Times. If you want to look uh, at the Flames' next opponent, the Tampa Bay Lightning are in town. Saturday for an 8 o'clock start, that means Flames warm up at 7 p.m. with the one and only Pat Steinberg, Derek Wills, and Megan Mickelson on the call 
at 8 right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan, lots of Flames conversation in Hour 1 and Hour 2. And, of course, our NFL chat with Sho Ali wrapping up the show on this Friday. Thank you to all of our guests for joining us. Thank you for listening, whether live or on the podcast. Thank you if you uh, sent us a text today at the fan feedback line. Appreciate that as well. And a thank you to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for their great work on this Friday. This afternoon, you got Real Kipper and Bourne coming your way. Steinberg and Gilbertson have Flames Talk. I'll hear you. Uh, you'll hear from me a little bit later on tonight. I got your Calgary Hitman pregame show at 6 o'clock. It's the Hitman and the Medicine Hat Tigers on your radios at 7 o'clock tonight with Brad Curl and Jeff Hollick. Enjoy your afternoon. Have a great weekend. Chat with you on Monday here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.